This is Keeping Track, and you're listening to Molly Huddle, Alicia Montano, and Roisin McGettigan Dumas. We want to highlight the important topics, inspiring stories, and amazing women in sport. We're three Olympians from two countries, two moms, and one current pro coming together to talk about issues we're passionate about in the sports world. And we care about the current and future landscape of women's sports. And this is just how we're keeping track. Hey everyone, welcome back to season three of Keeping Track. Today, we talked to Mary Wasera Naguji, who most recently finished third at the 2021 Boston Marathon. We talk about her start in the sport, how the Kenyan camp systems work, and her journey to the marathon. You might be surprised to hear who's coaching her now. We also talk to Mary about her brave and impactful efforts to help women of Kenya find confidence and escape abusive marriages. She recently started the Women's Athletic Alliance as part of the movement that has gained volume in East Africa following the recent tragic murder of Agnes Tirop by her husband. She was one of the brightest young stars in the women's 10,000 meters in the entire world. Mary has always seen the need to change how women are treated as property and told from a young age they don't matter and to be quiet. She hopes to provide a safe place of support to celebrate the women athletes as people, to provide legal aid and mentoring through this new program. Many women from around the sports world have offered to help and support, and we are right there behind her too. Thanks for keeping track. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Keeping Track. I'm here with Roisin and our guest today, Mary Wasera Noguji. Um, you've seen Mary a lot on the roads. Most recently, she was third at the 2021 Boston Marathon. Um, she's also a recent winner of the Houston Half Marathon 2016. Um, and I've raced Mary quite a few times on the road. So welcome, Mary. We have some important things to talk about with your newly started Women's Athletic Alliance. Um, and we'll just dive right into where you are and what you're doing right now. Thank you, Mori. Um, I am in Kenya. Uh, I live or train in a place called Nyahururu. It's in, the, it's in central Kenya. It's, you could say it's almost like Iten, weather-wise, attitude, everything is like Iten. So that is where I am based. It's where I've I guess it's why I kicked off my career. It's where I've always been since I started learning. Is that, is that where you're like from originally or you moved there to train? No, I'm, I'm from a place called Kikuyu. It's near Nairobi. It's like 40 minutes drive from Nairobi. So I came here when I was in high school, when I joined a camp and I've always been here since. So okay. where, I was, where I was born, this is where I train and live now. Yeah. Nice. Great. And the camp you joined, was it for running, like a running camp or was it for like a high, like high school um, to go to school there? Or was it to train, like a training camp? It was, it was a learning camp, but it was for high school girls and boys. So we would go to school, the camp. So we, instead of like just staying the camp and not going to school, we would just go to school and come back to the camp and we would train in the morning before classes and in the evening after classes. Oh, excellent. How old were you when you moved there? Uh, I was 17. That was 2006. That's when I joined. That's when I started training. <laughs> yeah. Had you run a lot before then? Like, had you, you know, what was the training like before you went to the camp? And then, like, how much did it change when you went to the camp? No, no, no. I, I 
I never trained before. I didn't even know when doing 1000, I didn't know what that was. I was like, (laughs) I used to run to the shop, run to the farm, run to school before, but I've never like trained. So I would just go for inter-school cross countries or inter-school track. And that's when I met this coach and he was like, you know what? I think you've been competing with my girls who are training, who are in a training cup and you've not been doing this. So I think you can, you could actually have a career in learning. Maybe you should join us. So that's when I decided, yeah, I should join them. So that's how oh, I started. Nice. Yeah. So you had the like, natural talent that they were like, hey, you're doing this off no training. Yeah. That's cool. say it was a natural talent. Great. Uh, Mary, yeah. was, was there someone that you looked up to who was a professional runner when you were in high school? Like, was there someone from where you were from or was there someone that you saw that made you want to do it? Or was that kind of later? Yeah, there was. I, I've always looked up to Catherine Dereba mm-hmm. because, mm-hmm. Uh, like, okay. Kenya, like where I come from, we don't have many people who are athletes. Like the tribe I am, I'm a, from a different tribe, from like the Karajin tribe or the tribes in the Rift Valley, and we all know, or most of the athletes come from that region. But then Catherine Dereba comes from my tribe, comes from my region, and I, when I saw her winning those races, and I was like, okay. I could be like her. I can mm. do thing. Yeah. So I've always looked up to her. That's amazing. And that is that that's the Catherine the Great. We we I feel like we used to call her the yeah. Catherine the Great. I remember watching her win the New York City Marathon over and over again. <laughs> my dad used to work uh in the school where her kids would go and my dad would always tell me and this was even before I started learning. So when the coach said I could, and because I've always known of Kathleen Deliver from what my dad says, and also watching her on TV, I guess that like really, really helped me. Yeah. Do you know her? Do you have a relationship with her? Or it's just kind of like, you know, she's your hero from afar kind of thing? Yeah. My hero from uh, afar. I've, I've <laughs> met her a few times like when we were going to the wild house she's always been like the chaperone with us so I've met her and and I told her you've always been my hero (laughs) but not like personally we don't have like a relationship so she's like my hero from far yeah Yeah. I think she's a lot of people's hero (laughs) she's one of the greats um Mary who is is there any other women in your training group like who do you train with nowadays uh I was uh like you know, the girl, the girl. There was a girl who was fourth in Boston Marathon. Yep. We training with her. She's also from here in Yahururu. Yeah. Yes. So I think she's the only one who people would know. I have I have other groups. I have a, the girls I'm training with, but they're not like mm-hmm. people don't know them. Yeah, they're just like upcoming athletes. Mm-hmm. Okay. And Mary, you said you moved there when you're like 17. So how old do you, do you mind saying how old you are now? Right now I'm 33. Okay. No, I'm okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you you've kind of been there for a good while and like developed into the professional athlete that you are now. Is have you always is there always been like a kind of a wave of of um, female and male athletes coming through your kind of system there, your your camp there? Is there like a, di- a lot of different age groups? Yeah, I'm not in the camp now. I was okay. in the camp like uh when I was in high school for like 
four years and then I stopped I stopped living in the camp and started living on my own yeah but there are always girls coming through for the camp come to the camp and when they establish themselves then they move out to the camp and start living by themselves which this gives a chance for other young addicts who want to join the camp so it has always been like that it's like they come to the camp when you establish yourself then you move out the camp and you give way for other addicts coming in yeah nice. yeah that's good yeah and I always wondered at the camps like is there just one coach for everybody or do you kind of have your own personal coach and you just go to the camp to meet up for workouts or how does that work like like are you coached by anyone right now well in the camps there's always one coach for the whole camp thing and most of the most of us would stay in the camp sleep there that's where we stay we would just wake up in the morning, meet outside of the camp, go for morning run, go to the track, and the coach is always there with us. So we don't have like a personal coach. Mm-hmm. Not like as now, like when you are out of the camp like me, then I can find my own personal coach. But when they are in the camp, it's one coach who is dealing with the whole group. Mm-hmm. And yeah. whatever the workout is, everyone does that same workout that day? Yeah, it depends. Like with the coach they will know that these girls are like or these boys are 1500 meters these are 5000 meters so it depends like it it varies it varies with your event so if you two do or if two or three of you do the same event then you do the same workout and then other groups will do a different workout because you can there's no way a 1500 meter person will do a marathon workout yeah no mm-hmm. <laughs> Did you always know you're going to go to the marathon yourself or did you start off like the young as a younger kid did you think you were going to become a marathon runner did you always no, know I'm always afraid of the marathon I so there was a time in my life where I said you don't have to run a marathon you can finish at the half marathon it's not a multitude <laughs> When when did you do your first marathon Mary was it after 2016 no, it was 2019 in Boston. That was my first. Okay. Yeah, you're a very good half runner. I've seen you You medaled um, at World Half twice, was it? Yeah, I was in Copenhagen and Cardiff. Yes. So you, and you have a good, her, Mary's PR I have listed as 66.29. Is that right? You're very fast at the half. And then 2019, your marathon debut. How did that go? Well, it didn't go as I wanted or as I expected, uh, that was hard. I almost gave up on the marathon. Honestly, I almost went back to the half. <laughs> I remember saying, it's so hard, maybe I should just go back to the half. Yeah, it, was, it wasn't what I really expected. Yeah, but after that, I did switch off a few things because I saw the training was not working well with me. So I decided I'm not happy with the results. Maybe I'm not happy with the training. I should like try to find out what went wrong. And so I changed my training coming to Boston this year. And well, I can say things worked well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How how did that build up go? You ran really well this year. Uh, you ended up third. Um, did Can you tell us a little bit about how those few months went? Well, I, I, I remember I went to UK last December and I started training with Rora. Rora Waitman, I think you mm-hmm. know her. Yes, oh, yeah. yep. Yeah, I started training with Rora Waitman. Uh, because more of, of a more of a 5K, 1500 runner, Laura, right? 
we were doing our workouts for like yeah from 1500 to 10k mm-hmm. because i had felt like i've lost so much of my speed so i was like okay mm-hmm. maybe with Laura and because she's the only one there in Reeds where I stay when I'm in the UK then and I hate training around this is I think it's normal with all Kenyan others because we are always in groups so I said well I have someone to train so I jump into our workout and so I started training with her since Feb Feb this year I trained with her until May and then she went to Boulder and so I continued to be with her coach Steve Crum mm-hmm. and improved my speed was like wow I did a 10k and I did a PB 3050 in May and I thought I'm feeling a little like the uh, Steve Crumb's coaching philosophy I feel it's working for me and so I, I, I was like asking do you want to coach me do you mind like do you want to coach me for the matter then it was okay we can do this I've never done that I, I think he hasn't yeah. done that before and he said yeah and so when I I when I started training with him, it's so different. His program is so different from what I did in 2019, but I loved it because I was feeling fast. I was feeling strong and fit, like not just fast, but also feeling healthy. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so I guess. And just, so just for our listeners, anyone who doesn't know who Steve Cram is, he's a, he's a former British, like 1500 meter specialist. And he's a big kind of, um, uh, talking head in the in BBC on the BBC for athletics he's a brilliant commentator and um, so and he's Laura Whitman's coach like you're saying who's he's coached her to like phenomenal times in the 15 3k and 5k so just give everyone kind of background so you were kind of like his first marathon runner <laughs> he has coached others but yeah Roisin's like a Steve. Level. a Steve Cram fan. If you can't tell, <laughs> <laughs> he's so good. He's so good. And I like how the relationship is because for him, it's not just about hitting the times. It's about how are you feeling, like mm. you know, the obsessed with. Okay, did you do this time? Did you do this? He's more about how are you feeling, like mm-hmm. he's like it like he actually cares about how I feel, how my body is responding to train, not just going crazy because when you do that, maybe I feel like when you are just about hitting the times, you might end up injured or go to a race mm. and not because you have like burnt yourself in training. Yeah. yeah so I really, I, I really did enjoy that broke, that training broke. Yeah. I, it was nice. It wasn't easy, but it wasn't that hard. Yeah. <laughs> it, was more, it was enjoyable compared to my last two marathons training. I was always suffering. I was always struggling. And yeah. I, I'm just curious, Mary, so like, um, I like the idea of doing a little bit of faster work in a marathon buildup. That's how I always felt best too. But how much um, mileage were you doing? Like, were you still running like um, over, I don't know if you do miles per week or not, but do you know how many miles per week you were doing? I don't know in miles. I'm a kilometer Com- person. Kilometers. Or oh, yeah. We'll, yeah, we'll take for- kilometers. <laughs> yeah, we can do some conversions here for the US <laughs> listeners. Yeah. Not like um, a 10-day broke before. And then after the 10-day brocks, I would have like an off day. But when between that 10-day, when I take uh, the seven days in a week, it would be around 190 to 200 uh, kilometers. Okay. okay. So you're looking at 120 miles a week plus <laughs> pretty typical marathon mileage still still mm. very um tiring <laughs> um mary we also want to talk about so recently um 
It's good to get a peek into your career for listeners. Um, but the Women's Athletic Alliance recently you helped start, and I know you're adding board members every day. You can tell us who else is helping you. Um, but in response to some of the gender-based violence in Kenya, you know, we remember um, your good friend, Agnes Tirap. Um, can you talk a little bit about what you've started and, and where you are so far with that? I know it's all very new. Uh, we, as a, we are starting a movement in Kenya or a, on a, an organization to help the women in Kenya or to support the women in Kenya. This is because the women have been going. I know, I know most people out there, they don't know what women in Kenya or the athletes in Kenya go through. They just see them winning races. They just see them there like breaking world records. But there's so many things that happens behind the scenes. And so we that's why we decided the reason we decided to start this is uh, what happened to Tirop. Well, it's not just what happened to Tirop, but that was like the final straw. We need to start mm. something. I've always been passionate about doing something for the girls back in, at home, like giving back. But I really didn't know what to do or when to start uh, because I've always been mad about how the girls are treated here in Kenya, right? They don't have a voice or like they belong to a man, they are controlled, they, they can make decisions for themselves. It's have always angered me. And really what happened to Tirop was like the final straw. We need to do something. This is like a wake-up call. We have to do something because we don't want some what happened to Tirop to happen to someone else. It was so sad to see her. She's so talented. She's young. And for someone to die like that, it's it's totally mm -hmm. not acceptable. And so we are trying to stop that from happening. And that is why we started Women Athletics Association, uh, Alliance, sorry. Um, try to give like a, a safe space for women going through domestic violence or who are suffering from any kind of abuse. So they can come up, if they want to speak up, they can come to us and speak to us. Uh, if they want support, we can try to support them. Yeah, right. So it's, I don't know if you know Maury or if you have had any like read anything apart from what we've been posting, but I know you have seen so many women, like you have met them in races and they're always so quiet. Maybe they're followed by their husband, they're always with their husband. And it's I, for me, I feel it's sad because they don't live their life. They, when they go to races, they are like they don't, they're not even enjoying it because they mm. are all followed by these men who are like you cannot speak. It's like they are controlled. They cannot speak. They can't mingle. They can't chat with friends. And that is also what we are trying to help these women to know that they are important as well. They're not just, they're not just an athlete because most of them see themselves, okay, I'm just an athlete. I just need to go to a race, perform, and that's all. No, they are a part. They have a life of being an athlete, and they should be proud of that, and they should feel like confident enough to know whatever they go to a race and perform, if they perform badly or not, they're still valued as, as mm -hmm. a person. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. They're not just the, the performance. It's not just about their times and their places and stuff like that. You're like, you're important. You're important. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like uh, most of our, most of the girls, they don't have that self-confidence. They don't have that uh, boldness to, to talk because since 
they were young since the god maybe most of them are married the men the way they control them is like isolating them and mm, yeah because by isolating them they know they would go maybe they would meet me and we would chat and i'll just start saying things so they try to uh, like isolate them so they don't meet people like me or they don't meet people like you and they don't have this conversation mm-hmm. they're always like, brighted they don't see things they don't see the world the way it is they, they just see the world how the men want them to see mm-hmm. it it's yeah. it's important to hear you say that it's eye-opening because i think people assume oh these women are professional athletes they're empowered they're strong like they've um you know, they're making money and it actually still is um, somewhat oppressive over there. I think it's important. I mean, it's so sad to see it happen to the extreme level with Agnes and other women like that. But um, it's a surprise because you see how sport has the power to, you know, give you a voice and make you feel strong, but it's still not happening in Kenya. And um, can you tell us like, what, have you had experiences like that as a woman in Kenya? Did you have to kind of fight to have the voice that you have? And how was that process? Well, I would say for myself, I didn't have to fight for that. But I count myself as lucky because I come from, I think, I come from a different, maybe we come from different cultures and our families are also different. Uh, I've always had uh, my brothers who have always supported me. My father have always supported me. I've never been made to feel like I'm rest at home. And I guess I believe it starts at home. It believes when we are. It starts when we are young, because that's when you start to grow up believing in yourself. If you are young and people make you feel inferior, people make you feel like your rest important. That it gets into you and your self-esteem or self, uh, you don't have that. And I've always had brothers and my father have always supported me, like never made me feel inferior. When it's about, if it's school, we always went to school. We were always equal at home. And I think that has also helped me a lot. Wild, uh, meeting people. Uh, I know whenever I go out, I like to chat with people. I'm not always staying in my room. I would go out, like if I go to Boston, I'll go to the street, just walk, and I'll see how people are. And I think that has helped me a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what do, you, what do you see in Kenya? Like, what do you see? You're very lucky, obviously, to be in, from a family who's so supportive and always treated you equally, and you and your brothers equally. Um, what, how does that contrast with what you see in Kenya um, and other people who aren't as fortunate as yourself? Yeah, there's, there's some families or cultures that bring up girls believing like, okay, your job is to get married. Your job is to have babies. Your job is to stay in the kitchen. You don't have a voice. And so there's so many families that do that. And once you are married, you cannot come back to your parents. You have to stay there. You have to make sure your marriage works. And I, I feel that has contributed a lot to what we are talking about. Because if you feel like you have no place to go back, like whenever you're married, yeah, if you have a problem with your husband and you feel I have no place to go, then you will stay in that marriage no matter what you're going through. And for my family, they have always, uh, like, they have always made me feel like I'm always welcome, no matter what. I'm always welcome at home. And that, and they, I have support. I have their support. I remember my brother saying, and they always said, if you ever get married and a man raised hard on you, 
he would he would get it from us. So I've always known I have that support, and it's nice when you have that support from home because you won't take you won't stay in an abusive marriage because you know well my family understand this, but it's different because in some families you can never go back. It's like mm-hmm. like it's shameful, like they are. Parents would be like, you have to stay with your husband. What will, what will our friends say? Because it's seen like it's the girl's problem. If a marriage fails, it's your problem. If a husband cheats, it's your problem. If a husband beats you, it's your problem. It's 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 they always like there's something you did wrong. It's always your your fault. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, and yeah, it's and like I was reading something about like how it kind of in in the sports world how some things happen like that young girls are you know go to camps or go get into the sport and they have a coach or like an agent or a husband and then before they make any money or successful and then as they are making money they feel kind of like they owe the coach and and that kind of way is is that true is that what you've seen over there like they feel indebted to the coaches and uh, or their their partner in that way and they're kind no, of like then if you if you if you look at my post in instagram i guess i've talked about that mm-hmm. a lot uh coaches they know it's like i think it, they, they have been in this business for long so they know when they see a young adrit they know she's promising she could be like um break a world record or she's gonna make roads of money she's gonna be famous and these things and so they start like uh grooming them is that I'm just a good person I'm helping you I'm buying you some shoes because we know I know most of us adults from Kenya we come from humble backgrounds where even it was our parents like it's impossible not impossible but it's hard for them to like buy us like trainers uh support us when we're in camp and then when you go to a camp like I when I came to a camp, I was 17. Maybe when you come, some are even younger than that. You come to the camp when they're 15 or 14. And then there's a guy or a pacemaker who says, okay, I'll start helping you. Or a coach, I'll start helping you. I'll pay for your school fees. I'll buy you shoes, whatever you need. If you need some money for pocket money, I'll help you that. And when that 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 thing that whenever when that starts happening, the girls start feeling like I owe them. And also the guys start feeling entitled to you. You are if you get like if you get to a level where you start making money, they make you feel like you are here because of me. You owe me. Mm-hmm. And they, this relationship usually adds up in marriage, and mm-hmm. because girls like they are afraid to say no, they they feel, okay, I owe this guy. He has helped mm-hmm. me a lot. Mm-hmm. Should get married, and that's how it starts. And the guy feels that it's not just a marriage. Well. We could get married, and I'm not opposed to people getting married to coaches because this relation there could be a genuine relationship there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like brainwash these girls that they don't have a voice, uh, and when whenever whatever they do, it's what the coach wants or the husband. It's I'm not saying just the coaches or the guys who have helped them. It's what they want, and it's like they control them. They can if even signing a contract they can't sign a contract even now if someone wants to talk to them they they have to go through the husband you can mm-hmm. just like direct the girl and these girls it's they feel like well maybe i can't handle this maybe i don't i can't 
talk to my manager or my agent. I need my husband to do this. I can't like sign my contract without my husband. He needs to come here. And they add up like almost right. It's the husband who decides yeah. what you like, which it is you run, which sign. And even the properties, most of the girls, it's the men who keep the property, the money. When you win a raise, the money is like when you go to the agent, the money, the agent sends the money to the yeah. husbands. And it also also contributed so much to people staying in this abusive relationship because the girl is like, okay, he has all my money, he has everything. I'm not mm. gonna leave. So they have to stay in marriages. Yeah. Yeah. And would you love to see, you know, you know, for your organization, like to like you're saying, like create a safe space for for um fellow female athletes to be able to kind of talk about that or just like share experience or support each other um when they find themselves in that situation. What would you like to see for your organization with regards to that? My organi- my organization, World uh, Athletics Alliance, is uh, we're trying to protect, uh, empower, and also celebrate our female athletes. Uh, we want to protect them. Like I say, they can have a safe, uh, a safe a space for them to come, and we can support them when they want to get out of these uh, abusive marriages. We ha- also want to have like a regal, a regal. Uh, support for them because maybe they want to go through divorces and they don't know how to do how to do it because they're afraid of the husband maybe the husband might reach out to their lawyers and bribe them and things like that so we want to help them in that way and also we want to like have uh like mentorship we can go to the clubs and for especially for these young girls in the clubs we need to like talks with them like what's out here and what to expect out here because most of the girls they are naive they just come from the village they are, they've never even like been in the same camp with men or anything and so mm-hmm. when this that happened they don't even know how to react or they think okay this guy is just helping because he's nice but mm-hmm. we need maybe some will help you because they are nice but we yeah. need to fear them yeah. tell them mm-hmm. happens world and i guess maybe it will be eye-opening for them and when these things start happening they will know like mm-hmm. i don't want what happened to a few others or a few people in the camp before me to happen to me so yeah that's okay. what we're yeah yeah that's so really important yeah that sounds like really impactful ways to help um legal help and um just a safe space awareness awareness yeah. and also yeah celebrating the um athletes there because i do feel like the women don't get promoted very well as individual athletes and as individual stars and that can help you realize your you know your own power like you are the talented athlete and you don't you can take that and it gives you freedom um one of the big things we are doing like celebrating because we feel like when we celebrate we are going to drive uh to empowerment and Mm -hmm when we celebrate these athletes and we make them feel that the world cares about them as people, not just mm-hmm. as winning, going out and winning, making money for your husband. Mm-hmm. No, the world cares about you. They want to know about you. They want to hear your stories, how yes. you write it. 100%. Yeah. Very much, very much. Want to hear the stories. Um, 
What do you need? Like, what do you, what have, who's reached out to help and what else do, do you need from people? Um, for anyone listening who wants to help, what would you tell them? Uh, we, <laughs> for now, I don't know. I don't really know what we actually need because so many people have offered to like donate. And mm -hmm. because we, we are just starting, we cannot like take donation yet until we have like, a proper registered organization and we have a plan of on what we are doing we are still in the early stages and yeah so many people have reached out to help uh like uh like we know jody she's an olympian she's a member of the women mm -hmm. as well as jasmine sayers jody just jody williams for people who um keep up with the sport <laughs> and we have uh Marcy Cherono who has joined with okay a very important uh, person because she's from areas where so many young uh, women athletes come from. Like always, there's always a junior, a junior athlete winning a gold from her region. She come from Kericho, and also she will help uh, when we visit the camps and those kind of things because also of, of the language sometimes. Um, also, so many people have helped. Like Emma Coburn has reached out to help us in whichever way we want. Tatiana has reached out to help. So many, I, I, those are just the names I would say, but so many people are reaching out to help. And it's really, it's like, I'm, I'm so happy about it because at first I wasn't sure what I'm doing is right. I wasn't sure like, should I do it or not? But then yeah. like how people reacted to it was like, yeah, I think I'm on the right track. So amazing. Yeah, you tapped into like, this community or sisterhood of female athletes around the world who are like, yes, we are here for you. We want to help you. And I suppose it's, it's kind of for you to identify like what the challenge is for you to, that people can support, you know, how, mm -hmm. how do you, what can, what can we support with, you know? Wonder yeah, Mary, like, have you had um, any backlash in Kenya for like kind of creating this or have yes. you seen any like resistance to this? Tell us, I did see a few of the posts of the responses you did get from some um, people online, some of the men. So yeah, can you let people know uh, what you've been hearing back? Oh yeah, I've had some, well, I've had some messages. I saw them, I was like, oh my God, what is this? Mm -hmm. it, it, I feel like, this, not all men, but some men are not happy with what I'm doing because I guess they feel, they feel like I'm attacking them. And I, uh, I remember I even told one guy, I'm not attacking you. I'm not against African men. Or because he said, oh, you're against us African men. I said, no, I'm not. I'm against, about, I'm against these behaviors of abusing women and, they, and things like that. Mm -hmm. But most, some men are not happy about it. Because they feel like whatever is happening to us women, it's because well, I, I would quote one person said, we need to change our manners and morals. Like our mothers mm -hmm. like, and be like our mothers before they were always living in, in these marriages and they never complained. And I'm like, no, it's not because they had good morals or manners. It's because they never spoke up. I've grown in a home where I've seen some things I've seen my mother not being happy I've seen the kind of relationship my mother was in and I, I don't want that for myself I don't want that for my daughter so it's not that we don't have morals or manners because we can speak up because I've 
I know better. I know I deserve better. I've gone to different places. I've seen, I have made friends like in UK or in US. I've seen them, how they live with their boyfriends and their husbands. And I know I deserve better. I don't deserve to live in this kind of marriages. But then the men, they want us to live, to be, to be quiet so they can continue to control us. So they mm. can oppress us. And yeah. that is why they are like attacking me. They don't want yeah. me to speak about this. Yeah. Have, have any of the yeah. comments been like threatening to you or more just disagreeing or um, have you gotten any scary messages? No, no, no. I haven't got any scary messages. Just like trying. So I didn't even one guy said I should focus on retiring. <laughs> <laughs> mm, yeah, You're, you know, but those are all those are all ways to silence someone. Yeah, that's it. Trying to attack me, like yeah. make it personal, like mm -hmm. try yeah. to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, oh, we've seen that before, haven't which we, Rashin? <laughs> yeah, which exactly? It's not an, it's not easy. You know, you're trying to do something for, for good, and then people are personally attacking you, and you know, you're like, yeah, okay, I know that they're personally attacking me. They're going there, but it's still not easy, right, to get that. You know, mm -hmm. it's still not easy to put yourself out there, and that's the courage that. You, you know you have to be able to like kind of withstand that and you know the people who are going to resist a, a changing a system that's benefited for them I mean across history people resist the changing systems that benefit them so you know if you kind of look at that it's like to be expected but I imagine it's still not easy and 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 it's yeah. just still <laughs> yeah uh, I, I, I remember I posted those some of the response I did a screenshot and put them in my Instagram and the response from the people the support there was that how they supported me made it a bit easier for me because I could say well I have people the, the group of people supporting me are more than the ones attacking me and yeah it's it's obvious it wasn't gonna be easy I I knew that from the start so yeah yeah well done i mean that's takes so much courage though so it's not we know it's not easy so mm -hmm. um yeah if there's well, any any way we can help or if you ever want to send us um anything to announce or a place where people can land like a website or something to get more information um let us know and we yeah. will definitely do that <laughs> yeah and when you get the, you know, the nonprofit or whatever way you're setting it up, you know, a place for people to donate to, maybe will help with like some of the legal stuff that you're trying to do, or I'm sure it'd be, um, a lot of our listeners would love to support you. Mm -hmm. Because I, uh, I think we will have an organ, uh, like a, a charity because support. For example, if you're going to support uh, the girls, like, Rigari and counselors and everything. We need funds to do that. Mm -hmm. We need funds. Mm -hmm. For example, if we need policemen, it's we need people who are trustworthy, people we can yeah. trust, because we need these girls to feel safe. They don't want to come to us and say, "Are we safe?" We want them when they come to us, they are safe, mm -hmm. and they can. Mm -hmm. They don't have to be afraid that maybe this lawyer will go talk to their husband or this person will talk to their husband. No. Mm -hmm. Need to fight lawyers, who fight uh, like counselors, because it's not just physical; it's also mentally. And for these women to move on and and to be able to overcome 
all whatever they have been through, they need counseling. And I guess when we set that up, we'll let everyone know. We'll post it in our page and maybe we can have you guys announce it as well. Yeah, definitely. Yes, anything we can do. Yeah, definitely want to help with this. Mm-hmm. Or if there's mm-hmm. anyone that you want us to reach out to that we may know over here. Um, yeah, anything like that. We can connect or help or just yeah. amplify what you guys are doing. Mary, um, where, where, well, where are you racing next? I guess we'll ask a little bit about your um, upcoming stuff. You know, you're still training through all of this. Well, I'm not sure when what I'm doing next. We haven't decided yet. Um, I'll be going to the UK maybe next week and I'll be meeting my coach. So we'll sit down and we can discuss where I'm, what I'm racing, what I'm doing next. But obviously I'm going to do a marathon in spring. Mm-hmm. Okay. We look forward yeah. to cheering you on, whatever one you choose. Um, and I guess at Keeping Track, we like to ask one final question. Um, usually we just like to ask what part of your personal story as a female athlete as an athlete in general, um, would you like to tell people that maybe they don't know about you or they don't hear as often? So much about me because I've always outgoing. I've always talked with people about my life and things like that. Um, but I always tell people the reason first why I started learning is I always thought like when we started doing like like championship in school or interclasses. The main thing I wanted to do that was to have a weekend off from going to the farm. Maybe <laughs> I'll have a trip and I go and I'll, I'll have a soda and some cakes and have fun with my friends and I'll skip the farm for that part. So that is how I say I started my career. And mm-hmm. I guess there's nothing else really that people don't know about me. And But I have had some challenges in my life. Uh, from my past life, I don't like talking about the most, but I've gone through some challenges. I've made a few mistakes in my life, but I'm grateful for that mistakes because I've learned from them. And by through overcoming them, I've become more stronger. And I've, for now, right now, I've, I'll say most people, what people really don't know about is I just got married. And oh, congratulations. Married in Boston. <laughs> No way! When after the race, oh, wow! <laughs> Before the race, and I got married to my to my husband now, Chris Cooper. And the thing why I, I was like telling you why I'm all I'm mad about what happened to the women is because I have seen how that we deserve better and have being married to a partner who rouses and cares about me. I, I, I feel so much my sisters and the women in Kenya should live a life like that. They should be treated better. They should be loved. They should be cared about, supported. Like they need the support, not the control. Mm-hmm. I the part where people don't really get me. The men don't really get me when I talk about this helping the women. I'm not mm-hmm. saying for men to go to the races with their with their wives to be involved in their career. Yes, it is right. It is right for you to support them, mm-hmm. but not mm-hmm. for them. I know I know that was completely outside what you asked me, but no, but I think it's it, it kind of brings home kind of your point of like, you know, why you're starting out this organization. It's just being really clear of this like dynamic that you've seen 
that you looking for equality there like you're not looking to reverse you know the women to like control the men or it's the opposite you're like I'm just looking for respect and equality for the women and yeah I think that's really important and, and you've, um, you've seen the potential for having a good fulfilling empowering life yeah and also being an artist it was really always driven me is I do love running and also it's it's a way for me it has always been a way like to support my family I have I have loads of brothers and we I did I came from um I would say like very poor but not wealth or family and going out to races and being able to make money and come to support my family to pay school fees mm-hmm. for my brothers and to support my mom build a good house of home for my mom because she's always been in the farm working and mm-hmm. I wanted to make sure she has a better life that has always driven me that has always made me work harder as an athlete because I know mm-hmm. this way for me to support my family to give my family a better life than what I had and also I have a daughter she's 11 now and mm-hmm. I want to be a role model for her I want her to see me like going to the world conquering the world and I want her to know my mom can do this I can do this and to believe in herself to know whatever she wants to do in life she can achieve because I'm just a girl from a village like mm-hmm. when I about my life now what would have happened to me if I'm not running I think maybe mm. some of the five kids nobody knows me maybe just working in the farm like yeah. life at all so yeah I want that to be something that girls look up to me and say I could I can be someone I can be I can yeah. be better than just getting married and having kids yeah yeah that's very powerful and very impactful and I think um You've obviously learned a lot in your journey so far, and this is all, you know, it's amazing that other women are going to benefit from this. So we definitely are behind you on that. We um, definitely, uh, I think, yeah, like Rose said, very brave that you're doing this. So we hope to see it take off and really impact women in a positive way in Kenya and all of East Africa. Yeah, yeah. And it's a good kind of reality check as well when you hear you saying about like how hard the work on the farm is compared to like running, right? That, oh, 100 and something miles a week or 200 kilometers a week. You're like, that's not, that's not hard compared to <laughs> the work. Yeah. Farm from 7 a.m. to like 4 p.m. It's, yeah. I'll prefer miles every day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's not forget that. Yeah. So, yeah, great reminder there as well. So thank you so much, Mary. This has been really amazing to get to know you and hear about your story. And um, it's been really enjoyable. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Thank you too for helping me. And thank you for the platform. Like, I know we'll reach out so many people. So thank you for giving us this chance. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Thanks, Mary. Yeah. And we'll be yeah. looking for you at the next race. Um, tell Steve and Laura we said hi. <laughs> <laughs> Hope we race again soon. It has been long. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and congrats. Enjoy being a newlywed. As yeah. Well. That's, congrats. That's still Surprise. The, still the glow off you. There's a glow. All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah <it's> beautiful. <laughs> Happy days. All right. Take care. Thank you.
Bye, Mary. Thanks so much. And um, we will link everything we talked about if there is a link for it. Uh, Mary's Instagram, the Women's Athletic Alliance Instagram, any websites. Check our blog, keepingtrack.com. There'll be a link. Okay, yeah. thank you. Thank you, Take Mary. Care. Bye. Thanks, Emil. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Keep track. Keep track. Keep track. Keep track. Major shout outs to What Cheer Writers Club Podcasting Studio, a nonprofit supporting Rhode Island's content creators and where Roshin and I record, and to Rudy Nakashima for our funky outro song. Thanks, guys. My shoulders hurt really bad, Molly. From what? I decided I was going to do rose, Cru- and now I can't wear a bra. It actually hurts. <laughs> it hurts your like skin. It, it really hurts. Like, <laughs> I'm like, oh, there's a bump there. Oh, God. Making games. <laughs> I didn't have any muscles and I was like, you know what? I'm going to, ow, no, I'm just in pain. I did that a few weeks ago. I was like, I'm just going to try and um, like deadlift as much as I can. <laughs> <laughs> the next day I was like, oh my God, why is my back so sore? It hurts so bad. I know. I'm like, oh, I need somebody to pressure point like right in there. Anyway. I was like, man, I'm so dumb. Anyway. Have you ever wanted to know how to win a Formula One Grand Prix? I mean, really know. Know about the driver tactics from the cockpit, the strategy calls from the pit wall, and even the mind games in the paddock. There's a lot more that goes into winning a Grand Prix than just 90 minutes of racing. So every week on the F1 Strategy Report, we're taking a deep dive into the decisions that shape every result. Hey there, my name is Michael Laminato, and every week I'm joined by an expert guest from the paddock to talk through the big calls that won the race and the missteps that resulted in bitter defeat. Before every race, we'll look back at the previous year's result and consult the current form guide, and we'll be in your feed after every Grand Prix dissecting the outcome and what it means for the championship. So for your regular hit of Formula One analysis, subscribe to the F1 Strategy Report wherever you get your favourite podcasts. The Strategy Report is a beer mogul podcast on the Evergreen Podcasts Network. My name's Michael Laminato, and I'll catch you after the chequered flag.